though our particular situation is somewhat rare, grief is anything but rare. Everyone grieves in the course of our life. We will all lose someone we love. And so, grief falls under that category, category of trials of which Scripture says, none has overtaken you except that which is common to man. To live is to grieve. And because grieving is such a common aspect of life, our good Heavenly Father has provided for us wisdom on how to grieve well. Our culture certainly doesn't teach us to grieve well. Where there is no hope of eternal life, there is no understanding of how to grieve well. It is typical for unbelievers to grieve in private, in secret, in shame perhaps. We don't live in a culture like the ancient cultures who used to hire professional grievers who would stand outside the house and wail and weep to let everybody know this person is grieving. We don't even follow, for the most part, what the not-too-ancient practice where a widow or family members would wear black to show that they are grieving. That's not to say that those are the right ways to grieve. That's just to say that it was common in the past for grieving to be public and really communal in, in some ways. So our culture, which is enslaved to the fear of death, has not taught us to grieve well. And so we must go to the giver of life to know how to respond well when he takes it away. And that's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to ponder the wisdom of God who himself grieved the loss of his son and will also briefly ponder the Lord Jesus who grieves with us. To mention, I just want to meditate on Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. just want to focus on that second phrase of not only what does it mean to grieve, we'll start with that, what does it mean to grieve, and secondly, what does it mean to grieve with those who grieve? My desire is that this message will help each one of us to grieve together, whether you're a member of Tom's family, whether you're a member of his inner circle of friends, a member of the church, or just someone who came to the church recently, we are all in this together, and so we must grieve, and we must grieve together. So what does it mean to grieve? First of all, understand that I'm not about to tell you what your grief should look like, what your experience of grief should feel like. wouldn't be right for me to do that. And it's wrong for any of us to impose our expectations of what grief should look like on another person's life, whether it's the intensity of it, the length of it, the expressions of it. All of those things are unique to each individual. But what I do want to address are what are some helpful components of healthy grieving. The worst thing anyone can do in a season of grief is to not grieve, to somehow sweep their emotions under the carpet or hide them in the closet 
and make every effort not to feel and not to think about the grief. That response really only leads to long-term spiritual and emotional and sometimes even physical harm. So first, to grieve means to feel the loss. To grieve means to feel the loss. We were not meant to die, but sin entered the world, and death through sin, we learn in Romans, yeah, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Pain of any kind is unpleasant, but it always serves a good purpose. It serves to tell us that something is wrong. We weren't meant to die, and the emotional pain of losing someone is a reminder to us that death is an enemy. It takes, and it doesn't give back. The pain of grief is a signal to us that someone we've loved is gone, and they're not going to come back. Yes, we will see them in heaven one day, but until then, we are cut off from them. And so it's good and right and necessary for us to feel those emotions of pain because we have to live in reality. If we try to hide our emotions away for any reason, we're really only fooling ourselves. Frankly, not even our bodies will be fooled. God created us with tear ducts, and when we weep, The the flow of tears releases a measure of stress on the body, and when we hold back those tears, that physiological stress will usually be expressed or manifested in some other way which is more problematic. And so as we grieve, we must allow ourselves to feel the sorrow in our hearts and not push it away. To grieve also means to think about our loss, to think about our loss. Some people try to not only push away their emotions, they also try to push away even the thoughts of the one they've lost for fear that the emotions will soon follow. They try to keep themselves busy and exhaust themselves with anything and everything that they can do to keep themselves from thinking about the loss from having the mental space to dwell on the experience of this loss. That too will only have a disastrous consequence for the future. Sooner or later you have to process the thoughts and it's healthy and right to do it sooner rather than later. I suppose there are situations where it's appropriate to push back those thoughts like in a battle where You really shouldn't grieve the loss of your fellow soldier until after the battle's done, but we are not in that kind of a situation. Tom is in heaven, and his homegoing leaves a gaping hole in our church, and it would be wrong for any of us to pretend that that's not the case. Getting more personal, to grieve not only means to feel the loss and to think about the loss, To grieve means to think about the person, to think about the person. When we lose someone, it's good and right for us to see their face in our minds or in pictures. 
it's good and right to hear their voice ringing in our ears. It's good and right to remember the lessons we've learned from them and the conversations we've had with them. It's good to the soul to remember fond memories of good times and hard times, victories won, sorrows endured. To think about and remember the person whose loss we're grieving is a way to process their loss, even as we remember the gift of their role in our life. Also, to grieve means to lament the loss of the future. We grieve not only because we miss the presence of the ones that we've lost, but also because of the future that will never take place. The hopes, the dreams, the aspirations, the goals that excited the soul when you were with them are immediately gone. Some of the losses we might think about now, some of them we won't realize until later, which is why there's no expiration on grief. As you live life, sometimes you think back and realize, wait a minute, if they were here, this would be different. Those who have lost children in and outside the womb may sometimes think about the life or what life would have been like had their child survived. Or perhaps you think about the lost experience of sending that child to college or paying out all that money for their wedding, which any father who's lost a child would gladly pay and have their child. If you lose a spouse, you lament that you won't have that next milestone anniversary or birthday. You lament that their children may not get to know them if they were young or their grandchildren if they were older. There are so many moments in life that we might be able to anticipate and many that you can't anticipate now, but they will come later. But whether it's today or 20 years from now, it's good to lament the future that will never be. Finally, to grieve is to remember the hope of heaven. Everything I've said up to this point could apply pretty equally to an between a believer and an unbeliever. But at this point, remembering the hope of heaven is what makes grieving as a Christian unique. Scripture tells us that though our grief might appear on the outside in some ways very similar to an unbeliever, because unbelievers lack the hope of heaven, our grieving should be different, and I think we understand that. We are to remember that if the one we've lost has trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, our loss is their gain. Beloved, we have lost a husband, a father, a friend, a pastor. Tom has gained his heavenly reward and eternal fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit along with all believers who have died with Him. 
It occurred to me earlier today that, so I was thinking about Revelation 5, which we'll look at next Sunday, and the scene of heaven that the Apostle John saw, even though that scene was anticipating a future day, the day when Christ will take the scroll from the Father's hand and enact those final judgments of ending the world victorious over his enemies. John describes in chapter 4 of Revelation the throne and the four beasts around the throne and the 24 elders around the beasts and the innumerable angels all around. Tom's there. He has entered the celestial city where there is no more pain or weakness, or sin. Those whom whom we've lost are finally residents of their true country. They are completely sanctified. All vestiges of sin in body and soul have been removed from them, and they are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness that He was designed to do. You know, in the final weeks of Tom's life, His excitement over the anticipation of heaven grew more and more. And then his faith became sight. You know, if we could somehow send a message to heaven, say, hey, Tom, come back here. Or if you were to send it to your loved ones who are in heaven, they might write a little return note and say, no, thank you. (laughs) Just come up here. I'll wait for you. The Scripture says that in God's presence is the fullness of joy, and in His right hand are pleasures forevermore. The best, most joy-filled day on earth, those very rarest of days when everything goes well, if you ever experience that, is just a taste of the moment-by-moment experience every day in the Father's presence. Beloved, in the midst of our loss, we have to feel it. We have to allow ourselves to feel the pain, to feel the sorrow, and to feel the grief. We should take the time to think about it, to remember the joys, to remember the sorrows, to remember the fun times we had, the laughter, to remember the blessed times of learning and growth and discipleship. But if we're going to grieve well, it's critical that we remember the hope of heaven. It doesn't take the pain away. We don't do it to make the loss less significant or to avoid the sorrow. We remember the hope of heaven so that our tears are bathed in joy. Our loss is bathed in hope and our future with anticipation. The hope of heaven doesn't take away grief. It really just makes grief endurable. What does it mean to grieve together? If that's what it means to grieve, that's all very personal. This goes on in the heart, in the mind. 
What does it mean to grieve together? Let me give you six thoughts here. Number one, grieve with those who grieve. Do not separate yourself from others. I mean, the, the basic command, the clear implication is we must be in the presence of those who grieve. One of the desires that grief can bring is the desire to be alone. For whatever reason, we, we don't want to be with others when we're grieving, we, whether it's shame, embarrassment, or just we want to be in our own emotions. We want to be alone, and that's not always bad. In our culture, we tend to shy away from public expressions of sorrow and the shedding of tears. As the counseling pastor, I can tell you a lot of people cry in front of me. And it's interesting how often they apologize for that. I'm like, don't apologize. It's okay to cry. You would think that when a couple loses a child, they would grieve together. But that's not always the case. It's often that they both grieve, but they grieve alone, and that can lead to more suffering. I remember ministering to a man who had lost his 21-year-old son in a car accident. He also had a teenage daughter, and he felt that he had to be strong for his daughter, and so he could never show grief in front of her. Well, that caused some conflict because she felt like that's, that means you're not sad, you're not grieving, and so I just tried to encourage him, it's okay. Go enter her room, sit with her, cry with her. Grieving is indeed an intensely personal experience, and it can feel isolating when the phone calls stop, the visits end, but we weren't meant to grieve alone. Remember a number of years ago, listening to uh, John Piper, he told a story of a couple in his church. During the first service, the husband tragically collapsed, taken to the hospital right there during the service and was pronounced dead. During the second service, the wife, as Piper was preaching, he saw the wife sitting there in church. So he went to her immediately after the service, and he could tell she was grieving, she was weeping. Why are you here? She said something like, um, I just needed to hear the word of the Lord. It's not to say that that's the only way to respond or the right way to respond, this, but it just represents the fact that when we're grieving, we need to be together. We need to hear words of comfort, words of truth. This may not be true for those of you who are here tonight, but sometimes in our grief we can be tempted to stay away from church to stay away from the fellowship of others. Can I just encourage you that if you're not feeling up to coming to church, that that's when you really need to come, to receive that encouragement, to receive those hugs. Again, there are times to be alone, but we shouldn't always be alone. We should give ourselves the opportunity to be together. So let us grieve with one another and not isolate ourselves. Number two, grieve with those who grieve over something that doesn't affect you. This would be more for those who 
maybe didn't know Tom or are newer to the church and may not be feeling the grief that others are feeling. Grieve with those who grieve over something that doesn't affect you. Move into, step into the griefs of others. It's okay to not grieve if you didn't know the person. We hear about deaths all the time. If you listen to the radio, if you watch the news, we hear about people dying and we don't feel the grief that their loved ones feel. That's okay. But for those of you who are here and part of our church, we we need you. We need you to balance out our grief. But also, Scripture says that when one member suffers, we all suffer together. When you have a pain in your body, you know that to some degree that pain is affected or affects the whole body. And so when you're not grieving, you have an opportunity to step into the griefs of others by talking with them, by hearing about their loss, by feeling their pain. It's particularly difficult, though, when you have reasons to rejoice. You know, during this COVID time, some were affected in very significant negative ways. It was very difficult for some, and for others, it was a a wonderful time. Sometimes a portion of the church is grieving and another portion of the church is celebrating And so it's an opportunity for us to love one another by setting aside our joys and stepping into the griefs of others. But there are opportunities, perhaps, at the right time to allow our joys to lift up the spirits of those who are grieving. So just because you're not grieving doesn't mean that you don't have a role to play in the body. Step into the griefs of others. Number three, grieve with those who grieve at a different level or intensity than you. Grieve at a, with those who grieve at a diff- different level or intensity than you. One of the many challenges that we face is to recognize that as much as each of us is grieving, when you yourself are grieving, you have to remember that others are grieving as well. And so we have the opportunity to set aside even our own grief and step into the griefs of others. For some, that might mean setting aside your lesser grief and stepping into the more intense grief of another person. For others, it may mean setting aside your more intense grief and stepping into the lesser griefs of others. We all had different relationships with Pastor Leek. He had one wife, that's why he could be a pastor. He had four children, he had three elders, six staff members, many friends, uh, a great number of people in the church. Each one will experience different levels of grief, and that's okay. So we need to be sensitive to the unique experiences of grief that we each have. You know, some of you have lost a child a parent, someone very dear to you, and you might be tempted to think, why are they grieving? He was just their pastor. Well, you have an opportunity to step into the griefs of others, even if no one has stepped into your own grief. Even within each family member, we will grieve differently, right? Some of you young people, you may not feel or sense any grief, And so you have the opportunity to step into your parents' grief. 
to ask them about why they are grieving, what their relationship was with Pastor Leek. And some of you parents will be grieving, and you have the opportunity to share those griefs with your children, to explain to them what your relationship was, why you were so blessed by Pastor Leek, what he meant to you. Number four, grieve with those who grieve before imparting wisdom to them. Grieve before, excuse me, grieve with those who grieve before imparting wisdom to them. We are a Bible teaching church, and many of you have a whole lot of wisdom that you can impart to others, and that is a wonderful thing. There is a time and a place for imparting wisdom, but if you don't first grieve with those who grieve, your words of wisdom will be like a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If you don't first sit in silence or weep with those who weep or express your own sorrow, your words of wisdom will be like fingernails on a chalkboard. They'll be an irritant. I know I've been guilty of this, but sometimes when we see someone giving or grieving We lob wisdom into the circle of their pain. Don't you know there's a hope of heaven? Don't you know they're in a better place? What we need to do is step into the circle of their pain, to grieve with them, and then at the appropriate time speak words of wisdom. Remember that grieving with those who grieve is imparting wisdom because you are imparting the heart of God to them. Number five, grieve with those who grieve in ways that you believe are inappropriate. Grieve with those who grieve in ways you believe are inappropriate. For those of us who haven't lost someone near and dear to us, it can be tempting to judge how someone else is grieving. You might judge how long they're grieving. It's been years. Why are they still grieving? We might think they are grieving too intensely. They weren't even family. Why are they weeping so much? Or we might think they are grieving too little. It seems like they're not bothered. Do they even care? Worst of all, it might be, we might be hurt by how someone is grieving. Perhaps they have anger that's directed at us, or they isolate themselves and refuse our offers of help. Beloved, let's be careful not to judge one another, but to draw near and enter each other's griefs. Even if one is sinning in their grief, it's good to enter into their grief and be patient and gentle and help them grieve in more healthy and less destructive ways. Finally, number six, grieve with those who grieve in ways that are different than your own expressions. I've said it multiple times, but everybody grieves differently. Some are expressive and outwardly emotional. Some are eager to talk about their pain and their sorrows. They just want to talk and talk and talk. Others are internal grievers. 
and they don't look like they're grieving. You won't see them weeping. They don't want to talk. As a body, as we grieve together, let us not assume whether someone is grieving by what we see and hear. Grieving together doesn't mean that we all demonstrate our grief in the same way. It means that we allow one another the freedom to grieve in our own ways, and we support each other in those differences. Now, as I close, I just want to remind you that in grieving with those who grieve, we are imitating our Lord Jesus Christ, who not only grieved with us in the past, but in, in a very real sense, He is grieving with us even now at the loss of our pastor. Yes, of course, he was delighted and no doubt had a big smile on his face when Tom entered his presence and stood before him and said, well done, good and faithful servant. But he also grieves with us in our loss. Isaiah 53, 4 says, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. This is not a reference to sin because just one or two verses prior, it identifies the suffering servant as one who is acquainted with griefs and sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. I think this passage means that at the cross, not only did Jesus take upon Himself all the sins of those who would believe and receive upon Himself the penalty they deserve, He also felt every pain and every sorrow, and every grief that we have and will feel in our lives. At the cross, Jesus bore the grief that we're feeling right now. In Matthew 25, 35, Jesus said, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. I think it would be quite appropriate to add, I was grieving and you comforted me. You see, Jesus doesn't just understand our pain. Because His Spirit, spirit dwells within us, He feels our pain. This is why the Spirit is able to help us in our weakness and intercede for us when we don't know how to pray. It's not merely because He's omniscient, though that is true. It is because He is with us in our pain. You know, when Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead, He knew what He was there to do. Martha and Mary came out to Him, and He didn't minimize their grief though he knew he was about to stop their grief in its tracks, he stopped and he wept. Even now, Jesus knows that one day our griefs will be over. When we see him face to face, all our sorrows will come to an end, but he still grieves with us here and now. So beloved Hope family, let us grieve and let us grieve together. And let us remember that our Lord Jesus grieves with us even as He offers us Himself in comfort. As I mentioned this morning, there was a handout. I don't know if you all got one. Um, I'm 
sure you can get one from the ushers if you didn't, or they'll be out there available. It's really just a summary of the things that I've said tonight. But on the back of it, I offer just a couple suggestions, some four questions of the kinds of questions we can ask each other to enter into each other's griefs. Questions like, what are some of your favorite memories of Tom? What did the Lord teach you through his ministry? How did the Lord use him to strengthen your walk with Christ? What will you miss most about him? Those are just suggestions, just the kinds of questions we can ask each other from time to time to enter into each other's griefs, to think about our loss, to remember the Lord's work through him in our lives, and to love one another well. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you once again that though death was not a part of your creation, it was a part of your plan as you purposed the plan of redemption, not just allowing the fact that humans would die, but that your own son would die and take our penalty and rescue us from this enemy called death and enable us to overcome and rejoice knowing that this life is not all there is. In fact, it's a very small portion of what our full eternal life will be. Lord, we don't know what the coming days and weeks and months will be like. We don't know what feelings what recognitions, what thoughts will come to our mind that will bring us to tears. But we thank you that you have promised never to leave us or to forsake us. That your spirit dwells within us to remind us of truth. And you've placed us in the body of Christ so that we would encourage one another day after day. So help us, Lord, to grieve to grieve well, and to grieve together. Amen.